Hey friend, thanks for listening to the Fixate Phoenix podcast. We are praying that you are blessed by this week's message. If you would like to partner with the future of Fixate, you can visit fixatephx.com slash give. Here's the intention of creation. And what I mean by that is like we have intended creation, which was Adam in the garden, and then Adam kind of screwed it up for all of us. I'm not even including Eve because it was all Adam's fault. So, so we see Adam who has intended purpose of creation. And then what happens is, is there is a, there's, he makes a choice that then ruins everything for all of us. And in this place, God tries to redeem creation multiple times, whether that's through different covenants, figureheads, um, kings, prophets, judges, all these different people, time and time and time and time he tries. And then finally comes to the point, and once again, we've talked a ton on this, so you can go back and listen, because we don't have any live streams. You can go back and listen on our podcast stuff. But covenant was a word that today has lost most of its meaning. But covenant back then was supreme law. It was, it was the highest um, commitment level. And so covenant could only be absolved in, in the essence of one party's death. So if I entered into covenant with somebody, the only obs- absolution of the covenant would be death of one party. The only problem is, is what happens when both of the parties are eternal, which would be the devil and, and, and God. So then what happens is Jesus comes onto the, onto the scene in order to rewrite a new covenant and in his death triumphs over an old one and gives us a new intention within our creation. And so that's what we've been talking about is what, inten- what is the intention of creation. But today um, I want to talk about something and it's a little bit of a play on words, but it's essentially patience. But another word for it would be waiting, but I'm spelling waiting W. I have to literally read this out because I, I like have messed up so many times. W-E-I-G-H-T-I-N-G, waiting. Right. And some of us are like, OK, well, what does that mean? What's interesting about waiting is this. And patience is patience is the Greek word hupomeo. And that actually literally the definition of hupomeo is is a heavy load that you stand under unflinchingly and unwaveringly. So it's just sitting here with a weight on you. Don't move. Just sit. That's the Greek word for patience. And even the Latin root words, they had a basis of understanding for it. The, word, the root word pati is the Latin word for suffering. So here's what I'm trying to say today. I want to talk about waiting from the aspect of all of us are going to sit here and admit that waiting sucks. Having patience and just waiting for something to happen is, is a terrible feeling it feels like within our humanity However, from creative purposes and creation purposes, it is the most refining characteristic of God. Not to give instantaneously, but to test spiritual maturity and devotion through the lens of what feels like a heavy weight that we're sitting under and we're not able to move from. Being stuck in seasons where it feels like it is pure suffering. And how could a good God let us go through these things? I'll never forget my dad's 50th birthday, which now would have been um, 10 years. Yeah, thank you, Steph. (laughs) Uh, 
My dad's, my dad's birthday, uh, he wanted to go skydiving for his 50th, which should tell you a little bit about my dad. He's a boss. He's going to be here in a few weeks. My mom, on the other hand, did not want to go skydiving. She sat on the ground and watched while we all went skydiving. So I remember we go skydiving, and it's one of those things where, like, we were clipped into the guys, so, like, it wasn't, like, full throttle skydiving, because who would do it unclipped unless you... I'm not going to judge you, but that would be terrifying, Um, which tells you maybe a little bit about me. Um, So I remember we're going skydiving and as we're going skydiving, I'm getting I'm excited, but at the same time, mildly terrified. And I'm going to skip to the credits and say I threw up when I got to the ground, but it's fine. Um, But the most terrifying part of skydiving was this. We're in the plane. We get up to the altitude we're at, which we jumped from 10,000. So we get up to the altitude we're at. I'm there with my brother, and I like look at my younger brother, which my younger brother, he's just, he, he'll do whatever. And I'm like, you want to go first? And I'm like looking at him like, you want to go first? <laughs> he's like, he's like, I, yeah. My brother's like, sure, I'll go first. I'm like, thank God, thank God. So my brother goes, and I remember watching him, and I didn't register this moment until it was my turn to go. They jump out the plane. And I'm one of those guys where they say like within, because from 10,000 to 5,000 is straight free free fall, and then 5,000 you pull your parachute or something. I don't know, I I maybe am getting those confused, but I don't think so because I have a DVD of it, okay? (laughs) So, So I'm one of those, so I remember, I'm like, okay, like it's my turn. Now here's what's interesting about skydiving, and I'll never forget this. I'm clipped to this guy, so he's like scooting across the ground as I'm, clip to him. It was very interesting. And he opens the door. Right outside the door is a, is a, is there's the wing that's coming across and there's a, a, a pole that connects to the base of the plane. And there is literally a yellow dot this big. You guys remember the that's it buttons? You know what I mean? So it would be like that size. And he literally looks at me. He goes, Hey, so safety protocol. I'm going to swing you out the door and you're going to put, you're going to put your two feet on that yellow, butt, that yellow spot. And I'm like, look at, I like think it's a joke. Like, I'm like, we're 10,000 feet in the air. You're going to swing me out the door and I'm just going to stand on a button this big. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, there's no way he's not. And he like looks at me. He's like, are you ready? And I'm like, oh, you were, you were serious. Uh, and he's like, yeah, because what I'll do is I'll check all of our gears and gauges and talk to the pilot and make sure we're good. And I'm like, so that I'm like thinking to myself, like, so that entire time I'm going to sit outside the plane <laughs> 10,000 feet and just be just right here. <laughs> and, and I'm dead serious. He's like, yeah. So he swings me out. I am. I am not lying to you. It was no less than 45 seconds where I'm just like. <laughs> And I'm clipped to him, but I'm like, this must be the most budget skydiving thing. It's like this yellow button. And what happens is finally he's like, all right, are you ready? I'm like, I kind of, I've been ready. (laughs) And he does the, okay, one, two, and we jump out and it was great. Not really. I closed my eyes like 90% of it. (laughs) And then we like, we're like getting closer to the ground and he like pulls the cord and the cord is like to drop a flap and you can corkscrew and that's what got me to throw up. I used to love, I used to love roller coasters. Now I have to like prepare my diet for seven days before. It's like water, fruits, and vegetables, water, fruits, and Daniel fast. We've got a roller coaster coming, God. I'm contending I'm going to make it. Um, 
But literally, I get to the ground. It was great. But I'll never forget that where I am outside the plane for just an hour waiting for this guy. And what I'm, what I'm, I'm trying to say and what I'm introducing is the fact is that this sometimes feels like life with God. Where it is like, are you going to respond to me ever? Are you going to keep me in this place of difficulty, uncomfortability? Are you going to keep me in this place where I just cannot have any form of peace? Why would you do this? And that's where we're, we're taking this today, waiting. But not waiting like twiddle your thumbs, but waiting where there's a patience and a wait. And it's something you can't shake. It's something you can't take off. It's not something you can just set on the ground. But it is something that is weighing you down that you're waiting on. And you're wondering, what are you doing, God? So let's take this through the lens of a couple passages of Scripture. But before we do, I want you to understand that patience is about building strength. It's not about wasting time. And I think a lot of us, we have a view of patience that it's a waste of time, but we don't realize that the God we serve is looking and saying, no, it's about building strength. And I want to encourage you today, if you've had that mindset, that as we start to get into these passages, that we flip the mindset of us saying, okay, God, you're wasting time. You're wasting time. I'm wasting time. I'm wasting time. And not, God, I'm getting stronger. I'm getting stronger for what you have next. I'm building strength in my faith that no matter what I can come against, I know I can overcome. So with that, let's jump into some passages. Now, today's going to be a little bit different. Typically, what I do is I topic, uh, topically will take one text and then we just unpack it for most of the Sunday. But today, what was fascinating, and this actually comes from an incredible book. Um, one of my favorite authors is a guy by the name of Bob Sorge. He writes a commentary on Job called Pain, Perplexity, and Promotion. Now, Job, we know the story if you don't know the story Literally in the beginning, it opens with like this kind of, no pun intended, like satanic trick where Satan shows up and he's like, hey, who's your most righteous guy? Let me tempt you. And he's like, oh, Job is, this is my man. And he's like, well, he's only had it good. So let's see if he'll love you through the bad. What happens is, is Job, the enemy attacks him. He loses everything, literally everything. And in this place, he loses his children, his, his herds, his, his servants, everything within a period of time. Now, what's, what's interesting about the story of Job and, and one of my favorite uh, passages that, that literally gives um, credence to the stories in Job chapter 2, verses 28. It actually says that he's literally boils have broken out on his skin. And the only, the only solace he's getting is he's breaking clay jars and scraping at the boils in order to gain comfort. Now, that's an interesting image from a man who's a multi, 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 in today's term, millionaire with, with incredible kids, incredible family, just an incredible life. And then literally within a period of, thir- they say that his ordeal lasts in between 30 days to six months in terms of where he's in this patient sitting waiting moment. Literally, he goes from that end to let me break clay pots and scrape the shards on the boils of my skin in order that I would have comfort. How many of you guys know this sounds like an interesting waiting season? Now, what's fascinating about this story to me 
is that in Bob Sorge's book, it actually, he, he introduces a, a line of thought that I've done a, quite a bit of research on in the fact that Genesis may not have been the first book actually written, written, but Job may have been the first book written, written. Which the whole premise of the book, and, I, and I've done study on this, and so I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, it's Genesis, oh, it's Job, oh, it's Genesis. But let's, let's go around this fact that what if Job was that first book written? What would that mean for our understanding of Christianity and faith? The first book that we from a historical aspect, being one written of pain, suffering, and no reason at all losing everything. But God restores it, and we focus on the restoration, but we don't focus on the pain. We don't focus on what he went through. We don't focus on the clay shards digging into the boils that have attacked his body. His friends coming to him and saying, why haven't you cursed to God? Man, doesn't that sound, I, I'm not going to lie, in that situation, I would be mildly, just a pinch, impatient. But once again, from this place, what we realize is that Job's story is one in which he didn't waver. And through the trial and the waiting, W-E-I-G-H-T-I, that weight he's sitting under of God, why would you do this? He stays faithful, and God redeems and restores. Jumping ahead, though, away from Job, James I want to talk about. James, many believe, the brother of John, martyred in 54, which is about 20, 20 years after, 54 AD, about 20 years after Jesus' death. What's interesting about James's story is many believe that James, the book of James, is the very first book written in the New Testament. Okay, why is that interesting? Because we've already talked about Job's story, one who's patient under trial and proved perfect and then redeemed and God restores. But James, once again, based by the fact that he died so soon after Jesus' death, even in conjunction with a lot of the other disciples, what we can see is that James writes his book the first. Now listen to James's opening, and I'm going to read out of the New King James just because I enjoyed this uh, particular version. It says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Man, if I had an amen for that, like, all right, guys, let's give it up. Hallelujah for trials today. Can we raise a hallelujah for some suffering, God? Yeah! No, I, you guys are way more saintly. You would lead worship. <sighs> Count it all joy when encountering various trials. Here we go. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. What's interesting to me is the only th virtue, attribute, characteristic, whatever you want to call it, of the Christian faith that literally has a perfect outcome to it that we find in Scripture. Patience. Man, I'm not going to lie. It's like this is one where if you, if you know me, I'm a very... Uh, 
I would say patience is a, is a strong struggle for me. But it's something that through the refining fire over time, I've grown um, thankful for. Even the journey of faith for our church here, talk about patience. Me and my wife, when we felt called to plant this church, one of the things we also felt called to was to honor where we came from. What that looked like for us was putting off our dream of planting here for one year. And all we did was serve for six months where we were at with nobody knowing. And then when we moved here to start kind of laying the groundwork, we did three weeks here and one month back for a year we did a transition. And by the time we actually launched our church, it had been two years of us processing it, praying through it transitioning. In two years, when you feel strongly about something, feels like just when is this going to happen? And I want to challenge us today because I think all of us, we want those microwavable dreams. The things that can just happen overnight, that can fall into our lap. And we don't realize that we serve a God that wants to refine your character through that waiting. But what I'm trying to say today is that we can reasonably conclude that the first books we have of the Old and the New Testaments, literally written, start with carrying the same theme of having faith in the midst of your patience being tested and having to wait. That thousands of years ago, our Old and our New Testaments actually started with near identical themes. James, give yourself patience, endurance. Job, sit in patient endurance. So interesting to me that there's similarities and congruency in scripture like this, where we could look and glean that God is speaking a theme of waiting. Some of my favorites in Psalms, Psalms 37, 34, wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. We love that last part, but that first part, wait a second. It's like, yeah, God cut the wicked off. (laughs) Wait for the Lord, keep his way, he'll exalt you. The second one, Psalms 31, 24, be strong and let your heart take courage. All you who wait. For the Lord. Psalm 27, 14, wait for the Lord, be strong, let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. Psalms 25, 21, let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Even Revelation to the church in Philadelphia, I love the wording of this one. It says this, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world that will try those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon, hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of our God. I love this one because once again, we're reframing a narrative that just as certain characteristics of God are woven throughout the, the, the fabric of the biblical narrative for thousands of years, Patience is finding its way into almost every story if you look deeply at it. 
And why is that? And in all honesty, if I was to be really frank with you, I think that what we've done within the church world and the Western Christian American world is we've liked to make promises of fast, certain, control, comfort. But I just can't find it anywhere. I can find carrying a cross and I can find waiting and trusting. I can find that we serve a good God, but I can't find that there's a perfect outcome for all of us. But what I do know, and you've probably heard me say it here if you've been here, is we can't promise that it'll be easy, but I can give you with certainty that it'll be worth it. So with that, with my remaining time, I want to uh, just give a few points around this statement, how to make sure you're waiting is fruitful. How do you make sure that when you're in a season where the timing is off, things are not going your way, the plan is not happening, how do you make sure your waiting is fruitful? Now, I'm going to add a disclaimer here because some of these are pointed. And the reason is, is I feel like for a lot of us, we need to change the narrative of why we don't want to wait. A lot of the times, really, it's just about pride and control not trusting and not believing. And so when we're challenged to live out the full gospel, it's a hard truth that confronts our flesh. So what I'm going to do is some of these are going to be pointed, but once again, you guys know my heart. (laughs) How to make sure your waiting is fruitful. The first one, stop calling it attack of the enemy. Start looking at what God's wanting to do in me. The first thing you got to realize is we can't be a part-time Christian demanding a full-time God. And that's, that's from John Piper. And I want to say this to a lot of us, man. I have seen so many Christians who are sitting in seasons of waiting and all they can wrap their mind around is, wow, this attack of the enemy. And I'm looking at him and I'm like, no, I promise it's character development. <laughs> I promise it's character development. In this overly spiritualized world in which, yes, we are fighting against demonic uh, um, things and principalities and rulers. But I'm going to tell you this. Most of the stuff we're fighting, too, is that we just don't want to develop. We don't want character development. We don't want refinement. We don't want these things. And so it's much easier to blame the enemy and cast him out than to actually assess ourselves and say, God, is there something you're wanting to change in me? That's making the process longer. Because man, when you start asking those questions, you might find that you're the reason it's taking longer. And I think for a lot of us, it's just easy for, for us to never get past the waiting stage because we aren't learning the lessons that God wants us to learn. So it's much easier to sit in the waiting stage and then walk away from God because why would he let this happen? Why would, and he's like, listen, when you professed the lordship, accepted me into, my, me into your heart, you said, make me like you. This is me making you like me. And it is uncomfortable. And in some cases, I even cried out, take this cup from me. But in the end, it was worth it. And so from this place, I need you to realize that the attack of the enemy, let's start to reframe some of this thinking around God, what are you wanting to do in me? The second thing is this, God is more concerned with your long-term character than your short-term happiness. 
We want to be saved from everything instead of finding purpose in anything. See, happiness is a byproduct of submission to God. But I would say this, happiness for me is the ebbs and flows of walking. And there are some times and seasons in which I find more fulfillment than others. And we need to be rational on this. Some of us, we think this happiness is this linear, like just linear progression. Okay, once I hit this milestone, happier, 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 happier. No. But I can tell you this character development, what it instills in you and what comes out of the fulfillment of you sensing, feeling, and knowing that you're becoming more like him is you start to find that you do have happiness even though sometimes you have to sacrifice the short-term aspect of it to realize that you'll get the long-term fulfillment of it in submission to following God. But I just want to challenge us around this because I think a lot of us, what we're doing is we're not assessing character development and happiness. And we think that they go the same. I'm going to tell you this, the hardest character tests that I've went through in my life were not happy ones. The most difficult tests that I had to face were not ones where I was joyfully and happily, oh God, thank you for this. Now, my happiness wasn't robbed, but I can be honest, it may have been a little delayed. But my long-term character was made better through it. I pray that we don't sacrifice long-term character for short-term happiness. The third thing, gifts are free, but maturity is expensive. What does it mean maturity takes place over time? Yes, it takes place over circumstance, but circumstance is directly related to time. God gives us the gifts, but the life of following God is growing our spiritual maturity and character into who he has created us to be. It takes time and it has cost. But I want to say this, a lot of us were not measuring patience and maturity in the same thing. So we're impatient, and what we don't realize is that in this place of impatience, we're showing immaturity. Because maturity in God is as I'm sitting here waiting, I'm saying, okay, God, if I'm doing everything that you've called me to do, if I'm walking with you, if I'm in your word, if I'm in community, and it's not works in performance based, but I'm going to tell you, it makes it a little easier. I'm doing everything that I know to do, God, I trust you. What we find is that that spiritual maturity starts to take root in which the peaks and the valleys aren't as sharp anymore. See, that's what spiritual maturity is to me, is it's not this and this of just the humanity of our world anymore. There's just a, there may, there's some highs and there may be some lows, but it's this. Because you realize that you're not the one in control, he is. You're not the one who decides where those peaks are and when those valleys are. You're the one who trusts and believes that God is the one in control. And I want to tell you this, that a lot of us, we don't realize that the gifts of God are freely given. He gives gifts to his children. And and I think a lot of us, we think that maturity is one of those gifts, and it's not. Character development isn't one of these like, man, let me just throw this at you. Boom, you got it. I wish it was, but it's not. Patience. 
sitting under the weight of the heavy load is what develops it. The fourth thing, this one I think some people need to hear. Sometimes you need time to know the time. I can look back at my life right now and I was certain at certain points what I thought I needed and I didn't get it. And then as time goes on, I realize that the thing I thought I needed at that time, I don't actually need. And I'm happy that God protected me from. And see, some of us, we think that this is the time for this. And this is the time I should be here. This is the time. And what you might find is that as your life starts to drag on, that you needed time to know the right times for things. And I pray that a lot of us, we don't just get in the rhythm of thinking in which we don't understand the gravity where we're just going through and we don't understand the gravity of what it means to be present in time, but holding it loosely. Or as the great theologian Dwight Schrute says, the wheels are spinning, but the hamster is dead. (laughs) That we're not so just spinning the wheel but we're dead inside. Spinning through life, spinning through the season, spinning through to the next one, get me to the next thing, and not being present in time and trusting he'll make it good in his time. The last one is this. Don't make a difficult season a dangerous one. Difficult seasons are meant to make us more awake to God. They become dangerous when they put to sleep the habits of seeking him. I'm going to read this again because if this is the only thing you get out of today, I feel like this is this is something that you need to hear. Difficult seasons are meant to make us more awake to God. They become dangerous when they put to sleep the habits of seeking him. And I want to say this right now. Maybe some of us, we can assess and say, man, I'm in a difficult season. How are your habits in that season? Because if you can assess your season that you're in right now and you're looking and saying, man, I'm in a difficult season and I don't have spiritual habits, you're going to be in a dangerous one soon. Because a lot of us, what we don't realize is the habits are what keep us on the road to following him. It becomes dangerous when we don't have habits of following him, but we're walking still. And I pray that you're in this room, that if you're sitting here and you're like, man, I'm in a difficult, difficult season, that if you're in this room, you're evaluating right now in this moment, the spiritual habits of your life, the rhythmic practices of being in scripture and in community, the rhythmic practices of being a disciple of God. For some of us, you're like, I have nowhere to start. Okay, well, we've got a couple tabs. You literally, I'll shameless plug it, spiritual formation on our website, literally break down how to pray rhythmically, how to read the Bible rhythmically. These habits are meant to reorchestrate the difficult seasons to get through it, not to take the difficult and make it dangerous. Because the attack of the enemy is this. I don't think the enemy really can make our seasons dangerous. He can start with difficult and hope we turn it to dangerous. And, and for some of us, we don't realize that those difficult things we maybe have to take some ownership of, or even just it's an attack 
But we must keep our habits the same because if not, or if we don't even have habits, difficult is going to become dangerous real quick. Isaiah 40, 31. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not grow faint. Few, um, about a month ago now, I think, or maybe less, me and my wife went to a, uh, a training in, in San Francisco. But before we went there, we got a cabin in the woods. Now, cabin in the woods is great. We really enjoyed it. Now, here's one thing is I've always been an expert fire starter. Okay. Sometimes with a leaf blower, (laughs) (laughs) which if you've never used a leaf blower to light a fire, I promise it's more entertaining. Um, and gas don't use gas. (laughs) We're in California though. And here's what's interesting. It had been raining. It had been raining. The wood was wet. It was cold. It was like we were in Northern California, about three hours north of San Francisco. Once again, I've always never had a problem starting fire. And here I am. And the first night I started the fire, it was great. The only problem was, is it went out after like an hour and a half. And we was passed out until 1 a.m. And then I realized it was like 45 in our cabin. So what happens? I get back up. I try to start this fire. I'm too tired to even start the fire. So what do I do? I'm like, let's throw another comforter on the bed. (laughs) Wake up in the morning. This fire will not start. The wood is wet. They don't even have a lighter. It's matches. Like we have no paper. I mean, it's pretty primitive. I'm like, man, I'm like grabbing toilet paper to help start it. Cannot get this thing started. Do not do this at all. This is very unhealthy. But literally, fire up the oven and just open it up for a little bit to get some warmth. You can literally die that way, but it's fine. It was only 500 square feet cabin, so it's way more condensed. So literally we could have died even easier, but we made it out. Later on that day, we come back and I'm like, I am determined to make a fire that burns. So what do I do? I mean, I go outside and I'm like meticulously cutting the wood into small shards, medium sized shards medium-sized logs, larger logs. I've went out, I've cut down boxes. And literally what it looks like, because it's all wet, is I'm literally loading and I'm just blowing, sitting there with my head in the furnace. Slow, steady, slow, steady, slow, steady. And the whole time I'm like, God, can this just light, please? It's cold in here, and I'm not going to try and kill my wife with this oven again. And what's interesting is the meticulous nature of building that fire, in all honesty, was one of the most profound moments of my week. As I sat and was processing in prayer and in reading, I've almost, I didn't know how, I was going to do a whole sermon on it, but just fit this moment where it's like the meticulous nature of every single thing that could either build that fire or destroy it. The breath that was needed to keep nurturing and stoking the flame. Before I could get to big logs, just these tiny little things that I had to consistently put on it. And I want to ask you this, how do you tend your fire? 
The fire of patient endurance, the fire of a patient struggle. What does it look like for you to be meticulous in making sure that thing does not go out? That as the weight, the patient waiting is strapped across your back and shoulders and you feel the knees start to buckle. I'll keep adding. I'll keep blowing. I'll keep adding. I'll keep focusing on making sure this fire makes it. Because in times where the weight feels like it's going to crush you, in times when it feels like your legs are on the outside of the airplane and you do not want to be outside the airplane, what does it look like for us to take ownership of our lives and say, God, I'm not just going to rely on you and hope you do it all for me, but I will be intentional that this flame doesn't go out. Let's stand to our feet. If you've been here before, you know that a common practice we have here is we just take the sermon. I write out a prayer and I read it over everybody. So whatever your posture for receiving is, I pray that you would receive this prayer. God, would you make us patient today? Not a patience based on production, but a patience that recognize a relinquishment of our need to control, our need to know, our need to have it all figured out. We are called to come and drink of you. Not called to come and think of all the ways we would be doing things differently if we were in full control. Help us to understand, Lordship. To understand what being a son and a daughter is. Submitted and sacrificially, we will wait. Humble and teachable we will exercise patience. May we be people who when others describe us, it is love, joy, peace, and patience that can only be found in that patient growth of the soil of your spirit. Jesus, today, though we may feel the weight and the burden of this existence, we also know that you have felt this weight and you have carried this burden in your humanity as well. 30 years of unseen and unknown living patience with a purpose. God, when we look at our lives, may that be us as well. Not seeking to microwave our own agenda and dreams, but content with the slow boil of sanctification. May our patience be paired with faithfulness. Faithful to your word and your spirit. Faithful to our family and our spiritual community. Faithful with the routines, patterns, and disciplines of a life in you. Today we say we trust your timing. Even if it's the last thing we want to admit. For in you and only you is a fullness of joy and freedom that our souls have searched for since man's inception. God. Give us strength for patience and give us patience to build strength. In Jesus' name, amen.